Welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and welcome to five proven behavioral interventions for depression. Help your clients get moving and rediscover their enjoyment of life. Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Now, more people than ever, especially young people and children, are unhappy, it seems to be. See reference one in the article. Rates of depression, suicide attempts, and actual suicides, particularly among men, continue to rise. See reference two in the article. It's important we understand this widespread and increasing misery. But I've noticed, and maybe you have too, a curious reaction among some people when you try to describe depression. Sometimes when you try to pin down depression, or even describe what might be done about it, people say, ah, but you're not talking about real depression. Or if they don't say real, maybe they say clinical Real depression becomes a slippery fish, impossible to cling on to for more than a moment. Okay, The idea that real depression is some kind of um, God-given immutable chemical disease that can at best be managed but will always be there is an extremely pervasive and pessimistic one. It's a depressing idea about depression. So... Where might such an idea have come from? This idea that, ah, you're not talking about real depression. Well, I think it can be summed up in the idea that you can't possibly know my lived experience. Okay, And I think the reason for the, ah, but you're not talking about real depression reaction, apart from it being a bit of a meme repeated by those who've heard others say it, is that when depression is described, it's as if the depth of suffering it produces is somehow negated or misunderstood through the description. Something so soul-sapping and paralyzing surely can't be explained in straightforward terms. But we should all, I think, understand the nature of the beast, because it seems to be affecting more of us each year, and it may not go away anytime soon. The more you know, the more you can help your clients, your loved ones, and yourself. So if we look at the value of clear understanding and rapport, actually acute and profound experiences can often be described in quite simple terms. For example, we can describe fairly simply what's happening to light during a Caribbean sunset. It's just that the experience of it can't be contained so easily in our words. But that's not to say that description of what's happening is wrong only that a simple outer description of a phenomenon is of a totally different order to the inner experience of it. But I found that many depressed people really do like to have a clear idea as to what's been happening to them, rather than just a diagnosis. And there's a sort of reassurance in knowledge sometimes. You know, many of my depressed clients seem to really love a commonsensical explanation of depression. They tend to relate when I describe how depression has people spending too much time in their heads ruminating, see reference three in the written article, and ruminating without hope, see reference four. They often connect to the 
explanation that over-rumination tends to load the REM mechanism in the brain, which is why people dream more when they're depressed, whether they recall those dreams or not. See reference five. And But beyond that, they tend to relate to the explanation that over-dreaming leads to morning exhaustion and loss of motivation, the classic cycle of depression. So of course that description isn't the experience itself. So depressed clients tend to know that they're over-ruminating, know their sleep is making them more, not less tired, and know that they have been viewing their world through all-or-nothing extremist, or in the words of the psychologists, absolutist ways. And it can be reassuring for clients to see that there are clear explanations um, above, above and beyond the simple, simplified medical, uh, your, your chem- brain chemicals are all wrong kind of theory. So what can we do to help depressed people? Well, we need a multi-pronged approach. Depression is an emotional condition which produces, but then is partly fueled by, absolutist, including perfectionistic, catastrophic, and of course, pessimistic thinking, black and white thinking, all or nothing thinking. Because it's a stress condition, we need to do relaxation training with the client. Because the emotion produces thinking biases, we need to work on the level of cognition too. And of course, we need to help our clients meet all their primal emotional needs in sustainable ways so life starts to feel meaningful again and enjoyable for them. So we can use a multifaceted approach to depression. There are some things we have to do, such as decrease stress, limit rumination in order to improve the sleep cycle, and help the client meet their emotional and physical needs in balance while seeing and challenging their own depressive thinking biases. But we're not just what we feel and think. We're also what we do. So behavioral interventions for depression can be really powerful as well. As terrible as depression is, some simple interventions can be surprisingly effective in relieving symptoms. For example, depriving depressed people of rapid eye movement sleep, REM sleep, can, it seems, lift symptoms rapidly for many people. See reference six. Now, I'm not suggesting we can or should do this, of course, with our clients, but it does show two things quite clearly. First, that depression is strongly linked to over-reming, over-dreaming at night. And second, that changing behavior can directly change emotional state. I've often written about working with depressed people and I offer an online course in the treatment of depression, but here I want to exclusively focus on behavioral interventions that can really help start to lift depression and get the ball rolling. But what's the point? I hear your depressed client think. Overcoming, but what's the point? The depressive mindset tends to all or nothing, according to research, as well as common observation. So if we suggest the behavioral task to a depressed client, they may feel or say, how will that cure my depression? Or what's the point of that? These are absolutist statements, black and white, all or nothing. How will adding pepper make the meal? It won't on its own, of course, but it's the smaller part of a bigger composite. When we're thinking in terms of all or nothing, we can't see things like incremental possibilities or shades of meaning and nuance. The point is, there is no one point unless we see reality in limited terms. Life is 
complex. And there can be multiple benefits and effects from what seem like quite simple interventions when treating depression, sort of ripple effects. So how might we sidestep depressive what's-the-pointism? Well, we can preempt the objection. I sometimes describe this what's-the-point thinking as being part of a common depressive mindset before offering a client a behavioural task. So in, in, in some sense, we've depotentiated their depressive response. In this way, I give them the opportunity to check any depressive thinking that might pollute their willingness to adopt the task that I'm giving them. Doing one thing won't necessarily lift the depression, of course, but chaos theory posits that whole systems of reality can be influenced by small changes. Anyway, the ideas I'm presenting here, I'll include a list of all the basic primal needs each behavioural task can meet, at least as far as I can see, and you might see more. Okay, so with that out of the way, what can I suggest in the way of behavioural interventions? So intervention one, tell and show them they don't have to ruminate. And this sounds so simple as to be frankly insulting, but bear with me. We know that the fuel of depression seems to be rumination without hope, spending a lot of time in your head in anxiety. Without negative rumination, depression falls apart pretty quickly. It needs rumination to persist. Some re uh, recent research found that simply realising that you don't have to ruminate can be liberating in itself. See reference 7. So liberating, in fact, that six months after commencing metacognitive therapy aimed at helping patients avoid such negative thought patterns, 80% of formerly depressed participants were no longer depressed. So we don't want our clients to suppress rumination, but rather detach from it. Then, when they see depressive rumination operating, and remember, you've already described it to them, it no longer feels like a genuine reflection of reality, but simply a depressive take on reality. It's a very different thing. And this can be hugely liberating. So I'll often ask clients to make a diary um, of when they spot themselves using all or nothing thinking biases, and specifically all the typical explanatory styles so common to depression. So if we look at primal emotional needs met through such a, an intervention, you've got sense of autonomy and control, meaning fighting back against the depression can add meaning to life again, sense of safety and security they can see beyond the lies of the depression or the simplifications of the depression. Now next, we can help our clients do what depressed people don't generally do, which is resolve enjoyable problems. So intervention two, give them an intrinsically satisfying task. We human beings are intrinsically problem-solving creatures. We find meaning through solving problems. Sometimes our drive to solve problems goes awry. For instance, we may unconsciously try to solve the problem of loneliness or shyness with excessive alcohol consumption. We might try to meet the need for healthy attention exchange through attention-seeking behaviours that actually drive other people away from us. But the common denominator is the drive to solve problems. 
depressed people stop trying to solve problems, either because they feel overwhelmed or because they've stopped feeling that they can solve problems. They have learned helplessness, in other words. Or maybe they never learned they could solve problems in the first place. We're unhappy when we don't have problems to solve and unhappy until we solve our problems. And it might seem counterintuitive to set a depressed client a problem or a challenge. After all, surely they have more than enough problems already. But what we can do is ask them to engage in an activity which can be completed satisfactorily. Something they are good at that has a beginning, a middle and an end has a resolution, such as um, baking a cake or mowing the grass or doing some satisfying chore, or maybe something they've been putting off doing for a long time. When they finally get that done, the feeling can be one of resolution, which is not what the depressed person has been feeling up to then. If we see depression in part as a series of emotional unfinished threads in the mind, then giving the client a thread they can actually resolve, can be surprisingly satisfying for them. And if the activity is absorbing enough, it will also help them cut down on ruminating. The activity can also reacquaint the person with the sensation of actually solving problems in the real world, not just mulling over stuff in their head. So motivational tip for this would be to make it more likely your depressed client will actually carry out a task Relax them deeply first and have them visualize seeing themselves from a third-person perspective carrying out the task. Research has found that people who visualize seeing themselves from outside doing a task are more likely to actually carry out that task than those who visualize doing it from a first-person position. See reference 8 in, in the notes. So the needs are met through this type of behavioral intervention are or might be a sense of autonomy and control again, sense of connection to others if the activity relates to other people in any way, self-esteem and feelings of competence, stimulation and challenge. Depressed people often find it hard to get things done but then worry about their procrastination and actually I do that too sometimes so when I find myself not doing what I should be doing I'll use the next technique. Intervention three, aim to do just five minutes. Completion or resolution of expectations is important for us because we evolved to act in the world, not just spend time in our heads. But the absolutist thinking of depression has people feeling they have to do all or of something or something um, in a complete way or they shouldn't do it at all. The depressed person may have fallen into the trap of having stopped breaking tasks down into steps. It seems we're hardwired to feel compelled to complete things that we've started. So even just starting something with the intention of only spending a couple of minutes on it can make you feel compelled to continue with it, even if you hadn't felt compelled at all beforehand to even engage in the activity. You know, so it's much less overwhelming to feel that all you have to do is 60 seconds or two minutes of a task and then you can stop it. If you have something to do, whether it's working out at home or writing a blog or an email or tackling a pile of ironing, deciding to do just two minutes of the activity can take the pressure off. Interestingly, 
you'll almost certainly find that once you've done two minutes of dishwashing or writing or working out, you'll suddenly feel you want to do more. This happens because of the universal need for completion. Once a pattern is instigated, we have a drive to see that pattern fulfilled. Christine, a depressed client, told me her tax returns were hanging over her like the sword of Damocles. And I got her to agree to only do five minutes and no more. And could she do that? And she decided that, yes, she could do five minutes. I asked her to set the alarm on her phone to go off five minutes after starting. And no matter how laborious it was, she was to remind herself it was only to be five minutes. And the following week, she said she had sat down to do the first five minutes and been pleased with even that. And at least I'll have at last done some, she'd thought. But when the alarm went off, she'd carried on and done it all. And this is a win-win technique. If you only do five minutes, you've still done something. If you do more, great. So it breaks down the black and whiteness of either doing it completely or completely not doing it. So needs met through this intervention would be sense of autonomy and control, self-esteem and feelings of competence, stimulation and challenge. This next one is particularly important. So intervention four, help them get some real face time with other people. When people become depressed, they often isolate themselves as a form of protection. But isolating ourselves too much for too long can also make us depressed, it seems. Some research from 2015 found that as face-to-face contact declined, the likelihood of developing major depression increased. See reference nine. And I think that's really, really important. And uh, face-to-face contact um, is vital, it seems. The same thing isn't true for email or phone contact. We need to be with people some of the time in the flesh, you know. And actually, maybe not just people. It seems even face-to-face time with animals, maybe not wild crocodiles, but other types of animals, uh, more cuddly ones, can help improve mental health. See reference 10. Some more research found that cell phone usage can worsen depression in those already depressed, but face-to-face contact can ameliorate depressive symptoms. See reference 11. Just this week, I asked a depressed young man to meet up with some friends he hadn't seen in a long while. And uh, can you do that, do you think? I asked him. And he thought about it and said he thought that he could. So I encouraged him to relax deeply and see himself, from a third-person observer position, contacting these friends and fixing a time, date, and meeting point with them. I then had him imagine relaxing with these friends. And he texted me later to tell me he'd had a really good time, forgotten the depression, and in fact felt better since meeting them. Isolation means we spend more time in our own heads, making stuff up, ruminating, fueling depression, but not testing out our imaginations against actual reality. Get your client to get some real face time. You know, so needs here met would be giving and receiving attention, connection to the community, or at least part of it, and hopefully some stimulation. Now, we're all meant to act in the world, not just live in our heads. We're physical beings, which means we need to get our clients moving. So intervention five, get your client moving. 
Depression is a stress condition. We experience stress to make us stronger and faster so we can move and survive in the world. If we feel stress but don't get moving, then the all-or-nothing fight-or-flight response can filter through into the way that we think and talk and also ruminate. So all-or-nothing, black-or-white kind of statements, you know, nothing ever works out. I'll always be alone. The world is totally terrible. But completing the arousal loop by actually moving, and sometimes as fast as possible, has been shown to reduce the chances of developing depression by 44%. See reference 12. The research found all it took was an hour of exercise a week, no matter what the intensity. Not only that, but another study showed that for older people who were already clinically depressed, a brisk walk three times a week actually alleviated their symptoms more effectively than antidepressant drugs. See reference 13. That said, it did take some time for the symptoms to start to lift. Being outside in nature also has its own benefits for the mind as well as the body, decreasing both hostility and depression scores. See reference 14. Personally, I like to encourage clients to move in such a way that they don't have time or the capacity to ruminate. Going as fast as you can, sprinting has been shown to improve mood after you've recovered from the sprinting, but also promote neurogenesis, the formation of new brain cells, which may ward off depression, not to mention uh, degenerative brain diseases. See reference 15. Sprinting can take any number of forms. and Sure, it can be uh, full out running, but for some people, maybe it means walking as fast as they can up 25 steps five times in a row, okay, with a short rest in between, or pedaling as fast as they can on a stationary bike. Okay, so sprinting just means going as fast as you can go. And if that's just fast walking, it will still benefit the brain and body, still have antidepressive effects and neurogenerative effects, building new brain cells. So don't underestimate the power of getting your depressed clients to simply move more. I encouraged one client who was extremely inactive to simply walk up her staircase five times in a row, twice a day. She said she was exhausted after the first time, but, th- but then felt good when she got over the exhaustion. She started looking forward to it and found she wanted to get outside to act in the world more fully because her body had started to be instigated in that way. In order to meet our needs, we have to act in the world. Depression promotes inactivity. We dwell on problems, but don't act in the world to solve them. This becomes a self-paralyzing habit that causes dependence, but not independence. These are just some of the behavioral shifts we can help our depressed clients adopt. Now, the word rumination comes, of course, from the cow's cycle of chewing food, digesting that food, and then regurgitating it then chewing and digesting again. It's not hard to see the parallels with what we do in our minds. Ruminating on problems has its limits. And after those limits have been reached, it has its own kinds of toxins, which cause the misery and paralysis by analysis, which we see in depression. As Albert Einstein said, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them.
So I hope you found that useful. I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unk.com slash blog. That's unk.com slash blog. Thank you.